Hey everyone, welcome to part three of our series Legion. Uh, this is the final part of this short series and uh, the, the tagline, so to speak, of this series has been finding victory over the enemies of our lives. In the last two weeks, we've talked about anxiety and we've talked about doubt. And last week we talked about how doubt isn't the opposite of faith, but that it is actually an element of our faith. That Jesus isn't offended or worried about our doubts. He just wants us to bring our doubts straight to him. And and when we have doubt and we have questions, it means that we're seeking truth and we're trying to find answers. And I don't think that there's ever uh, any worry in God for us trying to seek truth and trying to find answers because he is the ultimate truth and he isn't worried about us finding uh, some other truth because there is no truth other than Jesus. And this week, uh, we are going to wrap up the series with a look at the enemy of pride. Everyone hates it and everyone has it. Everyone can point it out in other people and it's really hard for us to see it in ourselves. But what we have to understand is pride is real and it is relevant and we have to figure out how to engage with it. Engage with it. Excuse me. Pride is really interesting because there are such things as healthy pride and there are such things as unhealthy pride. Even in the dictionary definition of pride, we see both positive and negative expressions. This is the dictionary definition. It says a feeling of honor and self-respect. Okay, yeah, we can get on board with that. A sense of personal worth. Yep, yep, we're good with that. And then then it kind of pivots. Excessive self-esteem. Excessive self-esteem. Okay, that doesn't sound good. And conceit. Okay, no, definitely not good. Satisfaction or pleasure taken in one or an, in one or another's own successes or achievements. And that can go either way. If we have pride in what somebody else is doing, great. If we have pride in what we're doing in a healthy way, great. But taking satisfaction or pleasure in what we've accomplished can often turn into negative feelings and thoughts. So pride is confusing to say the least. It is something that we want in the good ways and it's something that we really want to run away from and avoid at all costs in the bad ways. And what I want to say before we jump in is this, is that self-worth is incredibly important. God created you and I magnificently, and he created us purposefully. It's very hard for many of us to see that, but we need to know that truth. You've been created for a purpose. You've been created magnificently, that Jesus loves you. And and we're never going to say like, hey, you should never have self-worth and you should never be be proud of, of who God has created you to be. What we're trying to do is we're trying to fight against unhealthy pride. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about how we can do just that. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 18 through 20 is going to be the first passage that we look at, and it says this, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers, and blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. So as we're trying to fight against unhealthy pride, here's one of the ways that I think that we can do that, and that is to cultivate humility. Cultivate humility. Cultivate is this really important word because that means that there is daily effort being placed in. Like when we think about cultivating, we think about farming, we think about helping things grow, we, we think about taking something small and, and fostering it and loving it and nurturing it until it becomes healthy, until it becomes sturdy enough on its own. So getting away from pride and walking in humility is not easy and intentional effort is absolutely key. 
Pride is one of those things that is really hard to see until it's too late. It's it's an external sin, it, or sorry, it isn't an external sin that is really obvious to see. It's not like we're looking at ourselves or and, and we, we see a physical act that we did or, or words that we spoke out loud or, or whatever it may be. And we're like, wow, I'm really going to identify that as pride. No, pride is this thing that, that festers inside of us and it can, can kind of creep up on us unexpectedly. And it's really, really hard to avoid it. So that's why daily effort is so incredibly important. So how do we cultivate humility? I think verse 20 in this passage gives us two ways to do that. Number one would be this, give heed to instruction. Give heed to instruction. What we have to understand as human beings is that Jesus has given us a play playbook. Scripture is this amazing map of how to be people that God has called us to be. If if used correctly, it will naturally lead us away from pride. If we are spending significant time in, in the Word, and we are looking at the words of Jesus and of the disciples and of prophets and all of the different incredible letters and poems and stories and all those different things that are that are in the canon of Scripture, it will naturally lead us away from pride because what it's calling us to be is more like Jesus and less like us. But if we use the Bible incorrectly, there can absolutely be pride that can be found in becoming holier-than-thou Christians. And that isn't Jesus. That's us tapping ourselves on the back. And we've been holier-than-thou Christians, most likely. We have seen other people playing that role. And none of us wants to be a holier-than-thou Christian. Nobody wants to be around those people. We don't need to see how amazing you are. We need love and affection and and grace and, and real vulnerability. We don't need you telling us how much better you are than us and vice versa. So if we use the Bible as this tool to find pride, we can get in a really, really dangerous place because that is a playbook that tells us to go away from pride, to run away from pride. And I think it what it really comes down to is a willingness to learn and a willingness to dig into Scripture and to actually see what Scripture is saying in context, what Jesus was saying to the people that he was speaking to and who the disciples were talking to and how it applies to us today and all those different things, that we would be people who always have a willingness to learn because stubbornness or unwillingness to grow is a prime example of pride. That we would say, oh, we already have all the answers. We've already figured it out. Maybe you've been in a position at work or, or you've been around people who have been in their position. Um, I've been around people who've been pastoring for 95% of them are amazing. But I've been around people who've been pastoring longer than I've been alive. And they don't have anything to learn from me, according to them. That this son, you, you can go ahead and be quiet. We already have gotten all the answers on how to do this thing. And there's nothing more frustrating about that. But I've also had high schoolers look at me straight in the eye and be like, you're not really listening to me, and I don't think that you value my opinion. And I have to check myself because I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm twice your age. I need to be really careful to not be like, well, I have more answers than you because I've been taught by high schoolers. I've been taught by young adults. I've been taught by my seven-year-old so many times over and over again. So we need to be people who never, ever have stubbornness or unwillingness to learn and grow. Now, I want to preface this story by saying that I'm not calling my one-year-old prideful. But it's really interesting as I watch her, she, she grows and develops and seeing just these natural tendencies of humanity in her. And uh, we have this, this uh, end table that's right by our fireplace. And it has these little slots in it that you can put your hand in and you can pull open the drawers. And so she goes over and she starts to pull open the drawers. And we're always like, oh, careful, careful. Like that could hurt. That could hurt. And you're, you're trying to talk her through it and, and let her know. But you also don't want to just like rip her away from it and cause a, a full-blown like meltdown. And you also like want her to learn how to do things. And there's just all these fun things that go into parenting. So she puts her hands in the slot and she just starts to open and shut, open and shut, open and shut. And you're just looking at her like, oh, my gosh, you are – 
you are right on the edge. And if she moves her hand one inch to the left or one inch to the right, like it's pinched fingers and it's, it's screaming. And she does that. She moves her hand over, she slams her fingers and you go, you wrap her up and like, Oh baby, you okay? You know, give her the baby talk, rub her back, comfort her, all those things. And you set her down. And it's amazing. Cause once she calms down, she'll walk right back over there and start opening shut, opening shut, opening shut. And you're like, what do you mean? Like you just did that. You just caused pain. And I, I wonder if that's how God often looks at us, that he looks at us and he's like, Hey, don't do that. Don't do that. And we look at him and we're like, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And then we do it and we cause pain and, and hurt and destruction. And then God comes and he comforts us and he brings us back to health and we get there and then we look at him and we go, yeah, I'm going to do it again. And he's like, don't do it. And we're like, nah, I'm going to do it again. Like we are the one year old in the story and we have a God who loves us so much, but we need to be people who aren't stubborn. We need to be people who learn from our mistakes and who are always willing to do that. The second way that we can cultivate humility is to trust in the Lord. I know this is a simple point, but it really isn't that simple to do. But for us to be people who avoid unhealthy pride, we need to say, Jesus, your way, not mine. That we would be people who truly trust that his way is the best way. Psalm 10, chapter or chapter 10, verse 4, actually says this. It says, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. There's no room for God. When we are full of pride, we don't leave any room for God to be God. We are so full of ourselves that we fail to ask Jesus to fill our lives, to, f- to fill the broken spaces, to put the broken pieces back together. We are so full of ourselves that we fail to ask Jesus to fill our lives. So we need to be people who trust in the Lord, who daily are stepping in front of Jesus and are saying, hey, your way, not mine. I trust that what you have for me today is going to be the best thing for me. Next, I want to look at the story that's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. It says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So he's telling this to the religious elites, to, to the Pharisees. This is important. He's telling this to the Pharisees. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and I love this because he's just throwing this right in their face because Jesus was just a, a no-nonsense guy. So one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Tax collectors being uh, sinners and, and looked down on in the Jewish culture. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I'm not like robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven and beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus then goes, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So this parable that Jesus uses is essentially a do not do list. To avoid unhealthy pride, here are some things not to do. Number one, do not elevate your own righteousness. We already talked for a second about holier than thou Christians, but this is just another poignant verse about running from that like crazy. Now hear me. The point isn't to go around beating ourselves up for how messy we are. The point is to recognize that it's not about our righteousness. It's about Jesus's righteousness. That when God looks down 
on earth, and he sees people who have surrendered their life to Jesus. What he sees is the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ covering us and forgiving our sins, and sees his son over the top of us. And that's an incredible picture that that Jesus has put his perfection over us, his loving arms around us, his his salvation around us. It's not about what we've done. It's about what he's done. And it's so important for us to have that frame of mind. It's not about our own righteousness. We're never looking like, I haven't done this for X amount of days. Or, wow, I've been really, really, really good and really, really trusting and really, really full of faith and really, really kind for this many times. And I'm just really, really prideful about that. No, it's saying, Hey, I'm thankful that I've been able to get this far without committing that sin. Or I've been I've been doing great. Lord, would you please continue to step in and help me with this? Because I desperately need your help. I will not continue to be successful without you right in the middle of this. It's about his righteousness, not ours. So we need to not elevate our own righteousness. Number two, do not look down on others' brokenness. Do not look down on others' brokenness. This dude was the, the, the definition of spiritually arrogant. Well, at least I'm not them. But this is so important for us to understand as followers of Jesus. It is not our goal to be unlike others. It is our goal to be like Jesus. Our goal is to be like Jesus, not unlike others. Yes, we can absolutely learn from the mistakes of others and avoid similar mistakes, but that doesn't mean that we look down on them in the midst of their humanity. They're broken, just like you and just like me. You see... It's so important that that we see people for who they are, somebody in desperate need of a savior, because that's who we are too. If we start to look down on other people for, for not knowing Jesus, we're just looking down on our past selves. We're just looking down on people who haven't actually had someone who's taken the time to have a really, really important conversation with them about who Jesus is. So we're not looking down on other people. We're trying to be like Jesus. We're not trying to be unlike others. I have a brother, he's 12 years older than me, and um, he's amazing, and I love him so much, and we're in a similar stage of life now, um, but it took him a while to get healthy, so to speak, and and him being 12 years older than me, I, my first memories of him when I'm four and five, and he was a, a rebellious high schooler, and you know, there's drugs and alcohol and stealing cars and, and running away from home and, and all these different things. And I remember a couple years ago, we had a really, really good conversation. He just said, hey, I'm sorry uh, that I wasn't a very good big brother to you. I said, what do you mean? And he's like, I just didn't teach you uh, the stuff that like big brothers are supposed to teach their little brothers. And I was able to just say, hey, like maybe not in in the natural way, but like you told me, you taught me a lot of things not to do. And, and I genuinely made good decisions, not all good decisions. I made mistakes too. But I made a lot of good decisions because I didn't want to make the same mistakes. And so so there's absolutely things t- to be learned from people, but I, I should never have looked down on my brother. And in that moment, as we're having that conversation, I, I was super, super convinced that like I, I didn't have any pride. And then as I walked away from the conversation and thought about like, oh, well, you know, he's 12 years older than me, but we're in a similar stage of life. And, and I, I didn't do that. And, and I remember being 15 and 16. And when my parents would be like, hey, like you need to not, you need to obey, you need to listen. Like this is our house, our rules, all the typical things that parents say. In my mind, maybe even unconsciously, I was like, why are you so upset with me staying out past curfew by, you know, 30 minutes? At least I'm not stealing cars. And I'm like, wow, I, I experienced a lot of pride. So I had to ask for forgiveness from my brother. 
And I also had to repent of pride that I had been holding in my heart that I didn't even know that I was holding. Here's the thing. There are a ton of people that I want to be like because they are like Jesus. And there are a ton of people that I don't want to be like because they aren't trying to get closer to Jesus. But it's so important that we focus on the Jesus aspect instead of the messy human aspect. I want to be like the, the, the mentors in my life and the people that I respect because they are naturally and intentionally trying to be like Jesus. They aren't trying to make me like them. They're trying to make me like Jesus because the more they look like Jesus, the more I'll look like Jesus. And then there's other people that I avoid because they're not trying to look like Jesus. And, and, and hopefully I can be that for them. But we need to be people who don't look at the human aspect because we're all messy, we're all broken, we're all imperfect. We need to look at the fact that people are pursuing Jesus. Those are people that we want to model ourselves after. It's not because I want to be Craig Rochelle or I want to be Nate Petzl. It's because I know that they're trying to be like Jesus, and that means if I follow in their footsteps, I'm following in Jesus' footsteps as well. That is so incredibly important. You see, the religious elite pointed out what was wrong in the other man while the tax collector pointed out what was wrong in himself. This is God should love me versus I can't believe and I'm so thankful that God loves me. We never come to, to the throne with the mentality of you should love me because look at all the things I'm doing right. We should come to the throne and say, hey, I'm so thankful that despite my, despite my failures, despite my mistakes and in the midst of my successes, you don't change your love for me. You love me unquestionably all the time. And that's the mentality that we should have. So how do we identify pride in our lives? I think that there are signs that will help us to identify those things. And, and this isn't to cut ourselves down, but, but I think the first step in fighting against the enemy of pride is to recognize it. So we're going to kind of go rapid fire here, five ways to identify pride in our own lives. Number one is fault finding. I'm not perfect, but either are they. I know what they have done. Right. Comparison is a thief of joy. That's a quote from Theodore Roosevelt. Comparison is a thief of joy. Joy. We need to fight against comparison. It's not looking at our sin and say, well, at least I'm not sinning like that. That is pride. Number two, superficiality. Pride can appear in the form of caring what people think about you instead of actually working on who you are. That we have more uh, care about how people view us and what we're putting forth and, and facades that we're creating, whether it be on social media or, or in person, we're more worried about that instead of actually working on who we are. Number three is defensiveness. I think criticism is one of the hardest things for us to take, and we, we all want to think that we're putting forth our best self. But criticism can lead to really, really good things. And if we're in a healthy place, even if it's unhealthy criticism, we're able to take things, digest them, and be like, that's actually not true, and that's I'm, I'm going to brush that off. That's an unfair criticism. Or cr constructive criticism, criticism becomes our greatest ally. And instead of getting defensive, we're like, man, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to learn from that, and I'm going to grow from that, and I'm going to become a better person because of it. Number four would be attention-seeking. Attention-seeking. So guilty of this one. So many of us want to be the life of the party or the center of attention, and that can be really unhealthy and rooted in pride. That we're never trying to just seek attention for attention's sake. That's us trying to be prideful. Number five, neglecting others. It can be such a problem in our human nature to think about ourselves and our own needs first. We ask the question, how will this affect me, not how will this affect them or how will this affect everyone or, or even how will this affect us? We're so me-oriented that we, we forget that anybody else exists. So we can't be people who neglect others. 
If we can be people who always value others before ourselves, we will find ourselves in a really good place. So none of those are fun. As you walk through that list, and like none of them are fun, and none of us want to admit that any of those are even present in our lives. Some of us are going, wow, like five of those or three of those are really present in my life. I need to address those things. And some of us are super convinced that none of those things are present, and then we must not have pride because we are doing such a good job, which is in itself a fairly prideful statement. So this would be my last encouragement when it comes to pride. Ask others to point out your pride. Ask others to point out your pride. Super uncomfortable but super necessary. That we would be people that have healthy enough relationships in our lives that we can point out each other's pride because it is truly so hard to see in ourselves. But if we can do that, if we can surround ourselves with healthy relationships where we can call each other out on all of our sin, but pride because it's so hard to diagnose in ourselves, we will be so, so much better off. We need to have relationships where we can have them point out our pride and where they're willing to let us point out the pride in their lives too. Last week, I ended with a quote from Timothy Keller, and I'm going to do the same this week, and I'm going to add another quote. So a two-quote ending here, uh, one by Tim Keller, one by C.S. Lewis. Tim Keller says this, The Christian gospel is that I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was actually glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone And yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. And C.S. Lewis says this, A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Hey, thank you so much for tuning back into the College Age Movement podcast. If you're in Billings, we are meeting in person Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, We'd absolutely love to you, for you to come and jump into the community. If you're not in Billings or you're not comfortable coming in the midst of the pandemic or you are in a different state or city, uh, we love you guys so much. And we'll be back next week with the first part of a new series.